Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Matt. Joining me today in place of Corey is Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer for The Athletic, Kelsey Russo. Kelsey, first off, I just want to say thanks for joining the show on such short notice. And secondly, how are you? I am great. How are you? <laughs> well, uh, after that recent uh, snafu, I'm doing I'm doing quite good. For for the listeners out there, I literally forgot to press record on this uh, on this episode. I hope you guys get a chuckle out of that. Uh, as of recording the episode itself, though, we're about 24 hours away from the NBA trade deadline, and the Cavaliers have stood pat, much to the chagrin of some Cavs fans out there. And frankly. I am in agreement with it. I I love it. I've been saying this for a while now. The the team does not truly need a trade just to make a trade. They have a pretty solid group of guys. When you think about Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen in the starting five. And then they are flanked by Ricky Rubio, Karis LeVert, Jetty Osmond, Dean Wade, Kevin Love, and so on. That's what the Cavs are working with now that they have everybody back with the exclusion of Dylan Windler. That, to me speaks volumes uh, about the level of talent that we have here, that you have some of these guys on the bench, especially when you consider the collective talent here at the top. So with that being the case, you recently pinned an article on this topic and cited numerous reasons why the Cavs may just want to stand pat at the deadline. Can you elaborate on a few of those for our listeners who may not have had the pleasure of reading that piece just yet? Yeah, so I think a lot of the you know potential trades that are out there would require um, first round picks, and the Cavs don't have any of those available. They traded a bunch of them when they when they made the trade for Donovan, so they don't have that kind of ability to sweeten a deal like maybe other teams could. So I think that's kind of the main thing. Secondly, like kind of like you touched on, like they're finally fully or almost fully healthy, you know, and they've been able to see recently what these rotations look like, what these lineups can look like and how they can work together. And I think that was really what was missing in the first part of the season. Um, But we've seen Isaac Okoro really succeed at the three. Like we've known what he can do defensively, but the threes are starting to fall. He's confident in taking those shots. Karis LeVert coming off the bench adds like that scoring to that group. Um, You just have options there. Having Dean Wade back as well. Like, so not only do you have size, but you have the spacing he can shoot the three as well. And so like you have options depending on different matchups that can honestly fill that space. And I think like, I understand where fans are coming from, but I think we also have to keep in mind of like the Cavs made their really big trade when they traded for Donovan Mitchell. That was That was the big thing, obviously. Um, <laughs> bringing in an all-star, you know, but the, and the picks that were included, the guys that were included in that trade. So you've had this kind of first part of the season to allow – that to play out, see how it makes them better. Um, But I just didn't think, I still don't think there's really a need to go and change things up right now because they are finally in a rhythm. They're seeing what they look like as a healthy group um, and they can ride this out through the rest of the season um, and still keep their goals in mind, you know, and and those those playoff aspirations are still really attainable. So I think they should just stand pat. Um, that's as a personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm literally right there with you. And I think like the 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 honest evaluation of this team heading into the season was that this is gonna take some time. You know, mm-hmm. the Donovan Mitchell trade was not gonna fix everything, all the issues that we had in one season. It was not going to be uh title right away after making the play-in game. Um, you know, frankly speaking, that's just that just was never going to happen, especially when you consider 
the dynamics of how everything shifted. You gave up Lowry Markinen, a player who gave us so many fun uh, tall ball lineups out there in his uh, in his one season in Cleveland. You, you you moved on from Colin Sexton, who you know many people felt that the Cavs probably could have got on a, a, a cheaper version, you know, a, 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 a less expensive deal than a Donovan Mitchell. But we've clearly seen that this has worked out for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just specifically speaking in regards to expectations for this season, I think the Cavs headed in knowing that they wanted to go in and get some playoff experience for a lot of these guys who've never been there. Um, mm-hmm. You do have some playoff experience on the roster, but by and large, many of these guys are very young. They've never been in that type of atmosphere, and it, it's important to get that. So it was going to be steps. And so obviously these things are fluid. They change. They tend to change, you know, during the course of a season. But I still wouldn't hesitate to say it's not title or bust yet. And I think people just need to stay and, you know, have that mentality. Yeah. And I think I think so. I kind of going back to Kobe Ullman's comments um, during one media day, but also Donovan's um, like introductory press conference kind of reiterated that point of like, this isn't, you know, a contention year or bust or, you know, title year or bust. Like they want to build this thing. Um, and I mean, I get the excitement from Cavs fans of like, oh my gosh, we just made this trade for, you know, this, this all-star caliber player, like we're going to shoot up. But I think the thing we also have to keep in mind is how tight the East is and the teams that are above the Cavs at the moment. You know, you think about the Bucks, the uh, the Celtics, the Sixers, I mean, the Nets are in this mix, um, the Cavs, like there are these, this group at the top of the Eastern conference is so close and there's so much talent. And, you know, you have defending champions and finals, you know, teams and all these things that it was, it's going to be a difficult kind of race. And so I just think getting to the playoffs, experiencing that, like you said, because, you know, Darius doesn't have playoff experience, Evan, Isaac, you know, as a group, they don't have experience together. And I think that's another necessary aspect of it, of like guys have experience, but then it's different playing as a unit um, in one piece. So I think that experience is really crucial for them. So the first round really is like, that's kind of where that expectation is. And then to grow it, you know, like you said, there was, there's kind of a trajectory here of, okay, we, we make these adjustments, we see how this plays out and then we built, we continue to build on it. Um, but again, I do get where the excitement comes from, <laughs> fans, but I was like, we, we need to tame some expectations a little bit and just sort of like reel it back in of let's remember where, uh, this team was last year. Um, and you know, and just kind of the jumps they've continued to make, but you know, they're not going to skip those steps, uh, because it's not going to be sustainable if they do. That's the complete, like, that's the sane way to view it. That's how people yeah. who are logical view it. But, you know, as fans, <laughs> we're illogical sometimes. Um, and it there's a human element to this. Like you, 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 like you said, you acquire such a big name like a Donovan Mitchell, and you're, you're immediately thinking, well, this is going to vault us to the top of the Eastern Conference. And, you know, to keep in mind the fact that the, the teams that are ahead of the Cavs right now in the standings at 34 and 22 – uh, and, and even that, and then that's an accomplishment, in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. in itself, being 34 and 22 in such a stacked Eastern Conference when you had so much upheaval and transition to this this conference uh, in the offseason. 
the, the teams that are in front of the Cavs right now, the Boston Celtics, literally just got out of the finals and have some of the best players in the NBA right now. The Milwaukee Bucks have uh, an MVP caliber player in Giannis Antetokounmpo and have built around him very well. And, you know, you have the Philadelphia 76ers who are who are right there, too. They're another team who, you know, with Joel Embiid and James Harden and company have title aspirations themselves. So this is by no means been a walk in the park. And to get to 34 wins uh, through 50 through 56, I believe mm-hmm. that's a pretty good mark. Um, you know, if if you were to tell me that with the the amount of talent in this conference to begin the season that they would be here right now, I'd be perfectly, perfectly acceptable of that. Because this time last year, if you told me that their record would be 34 and 22, I'd be like, no, just (laughs) (laughs) you got to be on something. And I count myself amongst one of the most positive, you know, one of the most optimistic views out there in in regards to uh, Cleveland. But go ahead. All right. I was just going to add to that of like, in a sense of not only 34 wins, they've had 19 different starting lineups like <laughs> this season, which is just crazy of like, you've dealt with a lot of injuries as well and just different things changing. So, you know, I, I think, cause I think similar time last year, they had the same amount of wins. Um, I, I think I was, I remember seeing that on Twitter, yeah, but like yeah. people were like, you know, why, why are we not at a better spot? But I think we have to keep in mind of this, you know, bigger perspective of, this season that like the Cavs have dealt with a lot of injuries and just changing different lineups. So they're still in a good space. They believe they're in a good space. Um, and they just, they, they, you know, it's just kind of focusing on this group here and moving forward. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think there's any concern in the sense of where, like where they're at um, at the moment with 34 wins is pretty good at this point in the, at this point in the season, I think there's seven, eight teams that have 30, wins 30 plus wins so like for them to be one of those teams i think is a pretty good thing as well uh, yeah you're spot on there most of them are in the east I mean, yeah exactly uh, it's just <laughs> it's just one of those things like the lineup has not been consistent this season yet they have won uh many games and uh, a lot of people like to really crap on jb bickerstaff about that uh but i think you got to kind of cut him a little bit of slack considering the constant transition that he's had to deal with mm-hmm. um it, it's just been a joy to watch this team kind of kind of make do with what they have and and, and pull through um mm-hmm. they're they're quite young they're not always gonna you know win games that it's it's a learning it, it's a period of learning for all of them you can take something away from each one of these losses as you can in the wins uh, and specifically referring to that in regards to development, you already referred to it earlier. Isaac Okoro, man, <laughs> he's had somewhat of a bumpy ride uh, to start out his career, hasn't he? Um, yes. start, it went from starting all 67 games that he appeared in in his rookie season alongside uh, Garland and former Cavalier Sexton uh, with the primary goal perhaps being to add some semblance of perimeter defense. Um to the following season being moved to the bench for Lowry marketing in a move that seemed puzzling, at least in my <laughs> mission uh, at the time, but ultimately worked out. Right. Um, yeah. And then we fast forward to this season after the Mitchell trade shakes things up and set up uh, Isaac to potentially start once more, only to lose the starting job to Karis LeVert to begin the season. 
And a bunch of stuff has happened since then. You've had Dean Wade miss a significant chunk of games. Lamar Stevens got his shot before exiting due to an injury, uh, which once again opened the door for Coral to earn the job. And so far, he's taken it. And you pointed this out in your article earlier. Uh, but, you know, since January 1st, the guy is averaging nearly nine points. He, he's completing a blistering 58.1% of his total field goal attempts, which includes, and this is the most important part, 51% from three-point range. That's a stretch of 19 games and pretty much almost a fourth of the season. So with all that being said, what has impressed you the most about Coral since he's been reinserted into the starting lineup? Yeah, I think it's his confidence um, because we've we know what he he's been able to do since he got here as a defender. You know, he consistently has put on some of the top guards on a nightly basis and has been able to like contest shots or lock them down or just kind of make things really difficult on the defensive end of the floor. But offensively, you know, early on he was more so like getting out in transition, cutting to the basket, kind of doing those sort of things. But this off season, he did a ton of work on his three-point shot um, and was working with um, coach Andrew Olson and they they just did a ton of work on it. So I think what we've seen though is now he has the opportunities. It's the confidence because they're continuing to go in. Um, He's taking them in clutch moments, you know, when, you know, he's not hesitating. He used to kind of, he'd be in the corners and then he would like hesitate and, and pass off to somebody else. Now, if he gets the ball, he, he normally takes it. And I think that's a really good thing if he's just seeing those opportunities um, that are there on the floor for him and and taking them. And um, and I think it's just, yeah, I really think it's just a confidence thing for him of once you start to see those shots fall, you're like, all right, the work that I've put in, I can do this and it's paying off because, and the guys have talked about it a ton. He is like the first person in the gym every morning. Like Donovan tries to beat him into the gym and he like <laughs> normally doesn't beat him. Like it's usually like Isaac is there first thing in the morning. He stays afterwards, like working on shots. So it's like there's a ton of dedication from him to make this a part of his game and to be more of that like two-way player of, of being really effective on both ends of the floor. And I think we've been starting to see that really pay off for him. And just finding those moments too, like, because I think what kind of sometimes gets lost in all of this is, I mean, that starting lineup has Donovan Mitchell and Darius <laughs> Farland, two really big scores. Obviously you have, you're getting Evan and Jarrett involved. So there's not a ton. Where's the touches? <laughs> well, exactly. There's one yeah. ball. There's only so many touches. So like, cause something, some people are like, well, he only scores like, you know, not always in double figures or whatever, but I'm like, but the shots that he is getting, He's taking and he's knocking them down. And so I think that's the thing is there's it doesn't necessarily have to be 15, 20 points a night kind of thing for him. But it's taking advantage of those opportunities and being able to knock down those shots in those moments, because then the defenses have to watch out for him. You know, like usually they kind of try to load up on Darius or Donovan. So that leaves Isaac open. And that's that's that they have taken advantage of that. And so I think that's what we've seen. Um, And I think like. There's just an overall, like I said, really, but overall confidence from everybody. So not only him, but the coaching staff, his teammates, and you know, it's kind of it's really starting to pay off. So it's been a it's been a good month for him. <laughs> it really has. When Isaac is playing well, it seems like everybody's playing well. <laughs> like <laughs> the confidence out there when he's making shots, you just you just got a good feeling about the game. So at least that's how I see it. Um, you know. I was having a a pretty brief conversation with somebody about this the other day. It's just like, well, 
people are complaining that he's still not drawing the defense's attention. And I'm like, that's not necessarily a bad thing if he's still making the shot. Like once they do begin to actually start, uh, once he once he does start to pull them out there, it draws the attention away from those double teams that you indicated. And it allows him to do one of two things. He can attack the basket, which he is very good at. He's always been good at. And he can draw fouls doing that. And just like we saw against uh, Washington the other day, a game that I had the pleasure of being at, uh, he took a jab step mm-hmm. and put the shot up. It, it's not something that you're accustomed to seeing Okoro do from the perimeter. Mm-hmm. When you see him doing that, you know he has his full set of confidence and the team is right there behind him. Everybody wants this guy to succeed. And, you know, it's just been a it's been a work in progress for him. And mm-hmm. I think lost in all this is that Again, these guys are so young. Like we 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 live in a society where like everybody wants things instantly. It's all instant gratification now. And I don't know if that's just because of the, you know, the the, the generation that that we live in these days or if that's something that's always been the case. But it just nowadays it seems like if you're not a star out of the gate, if you're not somebody who excels at something like on a on a very high level, fans tend to turn their backs on you a little bit quicker than they should. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I love seeing him be successful in, in this way. And I just, I hope it continues. Um, I think putting him in that starting lineup was probably the best thing that you could have done for him because I think it really makes it, 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 it allows him to use his capabilities to the fullest. Um, as you indicated with the backcourt, the way it is with, the other two front court mates that he has, the touches are not going to be there that often. So as long as he's efficient with the yeah. looks that he's given and he is able to start pulling those defenders out, I got no complaints for him because you know what this guy can do on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, our, our, our buddy Carter Rodriguez actually uh, pointed this out from an article that Chris Fedor put out. You know what the guy can do on the defensive end so far yeah. this season. Um, held Drew Holiday to four points on two of 10 shooting, Jalen Brunson seven on two of 11, Ja Morant uh, six points on two of 10, and, and on and on. So you know what this guy can do on the defensive side of the ball. I'm just hoping that offensively this, this is here to stay. Yeah, and I, I, think, <laughs> I think it is because I think we also kind of saw some of this last year we at did. the end of the season. There was that little bit of stretch where he was scoring like, – he had a couple of 20 point plus nights. Um, and I think it was kind of a, like an eye opening thing of he's been so defensive minded his whole life. Like that's just been who he is. And so with, through this kind of process and like last year into this year, like the coaching staff has been like, we can grow his game in this way. And this is how we do it. So, but again, you know, he's a third year player. So, Two years, three years, three years. Um, I always mix them up. There's like too many. <laughs> um, but like third year, there's been a lot of change through his three years in the league, you know. And and so I just think there was there was a um, room for growth, obviously, but they've taken advantage of it. And now we're seeing all of that pay off. So I think, again, you know, and guys go through ups and downs, but I would expect this to be something that sticks for him. 
Man, I hope so. If it does, the Cavs are in great shape. We might not be talking trades. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least uh, like a big time move in the coming uh, season or two. Uh, but with that being the case, another guy who came into the season with like very extremely high expectations levied upon him was one Evan Mobley. Uh, whether it was talk of him finishing as a defensive player of the year finalist or making an all-star leap, the expectations for this guy were through the roof. Um, and I think the assumption was that some of those expectations would immediately shift specifically on the offensive end uh, with the addition of Mitchell. And that's kind of been the case. Uh, Mobley's touches are slightly down from last season, going from 12 field goal attempts per game to 11.4. But the crazy part is he's actually putting up a higher points per game average because he's been more efficient with the looks he's been given. Mm -hmm. uh, Mobley's currently at 55.3% from the field compared to last season's 50.8. That's a pretty substantial jump. So with that in mind, uh, based off of what you've seen from Mobley so far this season, are you okay with him kind of taking the back seat to the front court for right now? Uh, because I've seen many fans suggest that in order for Cleveland to reach its like apex, he would likely need to be at least the second option most nights. So, yeah, so it's an interesting conversation because, you know, at, at like early on in the season, um, Jamie had talked about how like for the Cavs to get to where they want to go, like Evan is going to be their guy, like that guy. Um, he can take them where they want to go. But I don't necessarily think that means he has to be the top scorer, the second option behind Donovan kind of thing. Evan's mindset is so in the in this the realm of like, doing whatever is best for the team in order to win. And like, that sounds obviously very cliche, but we've seen him make the extra pass, like, you know, make the hockey assist um, or like he's in the paint taking up space. So then guys don't try to get into the paint to go to the rim. Like he, he's, he finds ways to affect the game positively on both ends of the floor that aren't, that aren't going to be in points all the time, you know, and, and it's either like a, you know, it's a rebound on either end of the floor. It's just like different little things. Um, and I, but I think to your point of, cause that was a big thing of like, okay, is his offensive production down? And like, while the, the, the attempts are, but it's like, but he has been more efficient because there's a confidence factor there. He's more confident to take those shots. He's more confident in getting to the basket, to the rim, and like just kind of using his his body to do so. Um, he's also been working on that his three point shot and that confidence there to take that in really clutch moments, you know. Um, and he's super effective in fourth quarters. Like there's they have a nickname for him. They call him fourth quarter Ev. Um, and so <laughs> he just he finds a way to turn it it on um in the fourth quarter and whatever that is if either it's you know physically more physically defensively if that's you know finding ways offensively to either score or or help guys get open kind of thing like he just sort of finds those little ways to affect the game positively um so i think i personally think his like his production's fine like again there's so many like those five guys on the floor the touches aren't they're spread out between all of them so him being an option is really important and they have to find him his opportunities, obviously. But I think there's, there's a way to balance this all out where he is just as he is effective in his minutes. He's effective in the way that they need him to be. And it doesn't necessarily have to be and always like going to get like getting to the basket, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, for me, like the one, the one gripe that I have seen people have is like, 
stop being so hesitant to take the three uh, when yeah. he gets it because there's been a couple possessions when he'll Donovan or Darius will kick it out to him and he'll hesitate for a slight moment, which completely yeah. throws his shot and uh, his form off. And uh, that's 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 really been the only sour spot for me. He's at 19% from three-point range. But even with that being the case, he's still being really, really efficient. So do you think if if Mobley never truly develops like a, a consistent three-point shot, you'll be okay with that, just with what he's able to do in other areas? That's a good question. Um, it's funny because I've had like conversations with some of the coaching staff, and like they see that as like if they develop his three-point shot, like – he's at a whole other level, you know, like that's, what's going to take him to this, to just a different, a completely different place. So um, I think it is something that does need to be developed, but I don't think it needs to be something that's, you know, fully developed this season or, you know, they can take the time to kind of build this out because like, and again, he's somebody that like, I feel like we have to keep this in mind if it's just his second year, you know, he's, he's a year and a half in the league. Like he's still really young. And so there is this kind of this room for development for him. And if that's kind of their focus, there's an opportunity to really grow that. So I, I, but I think there's a lot of potential there for him to grow that in his game. Again, it's the confidence factor to not hesitate to take those shots when you have them um, to not like, just kind of not think twice about it. Um, and so I think if he can get there, that's going to be really crucial for him. Just kind of taking that like next leap, I guess. That's where I'm at. And th- th- this guy does so much and he's so young. I think that the, 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 the sky is the limit for him as cliche as it sounds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, I mean, they're cliches for a reason. Right? Exactly. Uh, they, they apply to so many different things. Uh, let's let's move to the bench here really quickly. So one of the guys who really, frankly, most of the trade talk has been surrounding is Karis LeVert. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who has ties, you know, to the to Ohio, very, very well liked, uh, you know, in, in, in Cleveland and whatnot, but hasn't always seemed to mesh well in specific lineups. So one would think, at least in my estimation, if they're not able to move Levert, that that can use that usually is either going to mean one of two things: either they are not able to find a suitor for him that they they clearly felt they that the deal made sense, or they may have they may plan on attempting to resign him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that being the case, when you have a Ricky Rubio on the team, when you have a Darius Garland, a Donovan Mitchell, where does where do you see Karis LeVert's uh, role actually playing out here now that everybody's healthy? Because you still at least would probably like to give Jetty Osmond some minutes, which kind of eats into that too. And, mm-hmm. and Dean Waits right in there as well. So where do you see Karis LeVert's role being moving forward now that everybody is healthy? Yeah, I think um, coming off the bench has been a really good thing for him um, because he's been able to like find his touches. And that was kind of the thing that was sort of the like the issue in the starting lineup because you had Donovan, Darius and Karis, everybody trying to get touches. And so Karis was struggling to find a rhythm. So I think for him coming off of the, like coming off the bench in that second unit, either playing next to Ricky or playing next to a combination of like Donovan or Darius allows him to find his rhythm, get his touches, find his shots. And then as the game goes on, you know, he can play in those moments like down the stretch kind of thing. I think that's sort of where his role is. I don't think it really changes a ton with Ricky back because 
Ricky's going to be the facilitator, you know, that second point guard or the point guard in the second unit and like kind of, you know, be that orchestrator. He can find Karis, um, his opportunities on the floor and Karis can go look for his shots. And I think that's sort of how that dynamic can work really well. And then you can, you know, use Jetty or Dean at the three more so and kind of leave Karis at the two um, and sort of be that shooting guard kind of role. So I think there's a place for him. Um, I think he's, I mean, his talent is there. We've seen in moments where he can go get, you know, he finds those shots. I think, again, I think a lot of it for him was the rhythm aspect and just being able to like, if you're not in a rhythm from, you know, by the end of like towards the end of the game, it's really hard to get into one. And so kind of getting him those opportunities early has allowed him to keep that rhythm, find it and sort of be able to succeed um, like in third, fourth quarters, et cetera. So I think that's kind of how I see his role. And I think, you know, he's comfortable with that role. Like he was part of that conversation, like when they decided to move him out of the starting lineup, like he went to JB and they had a conversation about it of like, hey, like I think this is actually like I'm more suited for this because like I'm not getting those touches and like not in a selfish way, but just like a, you know, like, hey, like I'm not able to find a rhythm. I mean, because you have, you know, Darius Donovan in that starting lineup. No, so. He walked up in the office and said, I want the ball. <laughs> I want some touches. <laughs> Give it to me. Give me the ball. <laughs> yeah. So I think like just kind of that understanding again to like, do what's necessary for this group um, has allowed him to like find his place. And I think it fits for him. Like, I think it works. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping so. He's another guy like a Coro that I'm, I, I really want him to succeed. Um, yeah. I would not like to see Karis LeVert go, you know, whether he's traded or, or, or not resigned, I would like this guy to remain with the team, but at, at the end of the day, it's all about the fit and whatnot. And so for me, I'm just, I'm sitting here wondering, like, the minutes. How is this distribution going to work out? I know that, that recently Kevin Love, uh, a lot of talks have centered around him kind of being uh, moved to more of a matchup-based kind of uh, conversation with him. So his minutes are going to be sporadic. But in that second unit, when you when you do have a Jetty, when you do have Rubio, when you have Dean, uh, Lamar, a whole bunch of, a ton of players who are vying for minutes. I just, I'm wondering if it's going to be fluctuating for all of these guys from game to game, because one of the things that, uh, I think that we have both seen, uh, at this to start the season is that the minutes for the starters are extremely high, yeah. especially Don Mitchell, uh, and Darius Garland. And, and you want to get those lowered. So I think like it's possible to do that and keep everybody happy, but that's on JB and um, uh, it's not a job that I envy. Um, yeah, but one yeah. of the, it, as, as I'm sure you can attest to one of the things that we have uh, we've come to know about JB is that he is very much a player's coach and he knows how to have those cu- tough conversations with these guys. And it's one of his best attributes as a coach. So uh, moving forward, I guess, uh, to tie all this in together, when you have a guy like Kevin Love, um, who has been transitioned to uh, kind of being the odd man out, I mean, uh, not really going to sugarcoat it here. Yeah. Um, do you think that kind of plays a role in chemistry um, for the rest of the team? Do you think him stepping aside and saying, hey, you know, I'm OK with accepting this fact of not necessarily being a regular rotation member. Do you think that has like a positive impact on the rest of the guys like he's taken one for the team? 
I think so because I think it honestly even goes back to last season um, in that aspect when, you know, when they drafted Evan, they knew and the, and they had Lowry. Um, they were like, they had a conversation with Kevin about how he was going to come off the bench because they were going to start this, you know, their, their first round pick and, and allow Evan to grow um, at the four. And Evan, or I mean, sorry, Kevin was very accepting of that role. It was like a, a hard conversation, obviously, but it was an acceptance of my minutes are going to be lower, but at the same time, it allowed him to play in every game other than when he missed that stint for um, being in the health and safety protocols. And JB talked about a ton last year, how like his willingness to sacrifice that because Kevin has, you know, been to the mountaintop, has a championship, has seen everything with this organization that you could possibly imagine um, that to step back in that role, like allowed JB to ask whatever of all the other guys, because Kevin was making this major sacrifice. And I think fast forward to this year, it's a similar kind of situation of, okay, you have, this this NBA champion, you have this guy that's been in the league for a while. He's he's been with the Cavs for a very long time, and now he's you know stepping back even farther to allow guys to you know succeed. And not that it's not easy, obviously, but I think it allows there's there's a an understanding of the sacrifice of that, and then and guys really respect that. Um, they really do like appreciate Kevin's veteran leadership, his presence, like they taught, he, you know, he brings a lot in that aspect. And I think you can't forget about that, but so it's like still his presence on the bench is really important because he can, he sees things, he's been through situations. He can help guys as they go through this, you know, like trying to get to the playoffs and a playoff experience or playoff run and what that experience is like. But I think it allows, yeah, it builds that chemistry in a sense of like, okay, he's, he's taking this, like this role change so now we're going to go try to succeed it, like for him basically. So, um, but again, it doesn't make it easy. Cause obviously he's, you know, he's a he's human. Player. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there's like an, an understanding and his relationship with JB is really important in all of this as well. You know, so like the honesty, the transparency in those conversations has been a factor um, in all of it as well of just like, you know, like you said, JB is very much a player's coach, um, and they have very honest and real conversations, which I think is really important, especially in, you know, situations like this where it can either be matchup based or it can end up being, you know, guys roles change and um, being able to understand all of the elements is really important for guys. Um, and they, they, they do that really, really well. Absolutely. And I, I have not always been a fan of uh, some of the antics that Kevin Love has uh, brought to the table over the past couple of seasons. But I got to say, you know, dating back to last season when he was finally willing to accept the role that was given to him and he took it in stride and nearly won the sixth man of the year. I mm-hmm. think many of us feel like he should have. Uh, but this season, obviously not so much the case because of some of the mounting injuries that he's had to deal with and just pure circumstance uh, for right. him, which unfortunately can be the case. A lot of the times it's, you know, when your opportunity is there uh, and you haven't made the most out of it, or you get injured and somebody else fills in for you and takes it. Sometimes that's just the case. And right now that's kind of the predicament that he finds himself in. Um, time will tell what the Cavs end up doing with Kevin past this season, because as we all know, his contract will be expiring. 
Um, I'd love to see him back uh, on a on a short term deal. You know, something yeah. that works for both sides. Uh, but again, time will tell if that happens. Before uh, I get you out of here, Kelsey, I do have to ask us being, you know, two Cavalier fans here, um, as I'm sure you everybody watched last night, LeBron James <laughs> getting that uh, that record. Eleven seasons in Cleveland, uh, you know, a few seasons now in Los Angeles and then the stint in Miami where he won his first championship. Do you see anybody ever? actually topping his record because he's still going he's still going (laughs) like i think that's the thing is it's you know he's he's just gonna continue breaking his own record for until he retires i guess so i you know i don't know and i i i don't think so because he's such a generational player like he is just kind of on a in his own little category you know like and and He's it's, taking such good care of his body. Like I, nobody 20, does that. Exactly. Like it, yeah. yeah. And even like, um, even as the game is changing and everything, because I, I thought it was interesting. I did not know this, um, that Kareem had only made, was it one, three, two, three, yeah. something like that. Um, in like for, in his career for like that, for his scoring number, I thought that was crazy. So like, yeah. obviously the game has changed, but I just think, the longevity of LeBron's career, what he's been able to do on a nightly basis, you know, through not only when he was younger, but seriously, even till now when he's like, you know, scoring 30 plus very frequently, you know? And so I just think, I don't think it's going to be topped at least for maybe a really long time, but till the next generational guy, but <laughs> it was so cool to watch. I mean, I was kind of, I thought it was funny though. And I guess it makes sense because they did it for when Steph, um, broke the three-point um, record, but when they stopped the game with like 10 <laughs> yeah. in the third quarter, I was like, what, what happened? You like, don't see stopped. that happen, yeah. I know, like stop, full stop of the game, full little ceremony. I was like, do you just want to play the last 10 seconds and then you can do, I don't know, it just was like really funny to me of the whole circumstance, but it was very cool to watch and like, and witness it and like kind of just think about like, I don't know, I was in, I was in high school when they won the championship here in Cleveland. So like, it's just really cool to see, like, to see, like, all these kind of different moments in history. Um, so it was pretty special to watch. It was. I, like, <laughs> us being on the East Coast and whatnot, I'm like, man, oh. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, I, uh, <laughs> I tried my best. Uh, I was in and out of sleep. You know, I watched the amazing third quarter. I watched the first. I think I missed the partial uh, bit of the second because I just fallen asleep. <laughs> but. <laughs> with these uh west coast times so late but it was awesome sight to see because you just don't get to see this stuff every day you already you pointed out the Steph breaking the record these are records that are that are not broken every day uh you know every day it's just one of those things you you have to watch it you, you yeah. it's appointment viewing and i think when we look back on lebron's career we're just going to be at, at all in the fact that this guy is going to be like top five or top 10 in pretty much all categories. And that is insane for anybody to have had that period of longevity and, and still kind of appearing to be in somewhat of a prime for him. He's obviously exiting it, but at 38 years old and still, and still doing it at a higher level than a lot of other star players. It's, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the what? Yes. Yeah, it is. I honestly sometimes forget that he's 38. Like I like last night I was like, Oh my God. Like I had to like remind myself. <laughs> I was like, 
he is 38. Like he's, you know, he's not 22. Like some of these other guys, like, and it's just kind of, it's just like unbelievable. Sometimes you watch the things that he does. And I just thought it was really funny too, that he hit the sh- that shot to break it on the fadeaway. I was like, it's just classic, like just to like a like surreal moment. So I thought that was really cool. Absolutely. Uh, no other word to put out there than incredible for him. Such an iconic player. Um, we were very spoiled to have him for parts of 11 seasons. So, and, and a championship. Can't leave mm-hmm. that out. Uh, so with that being said, Kelsey, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can directly at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. <laughs>